know who has access to what? This is the Identity at the Center podcast. If you're looking for identity and access management talk, you've come to the right place. And now, on to the show. Welcome to the Identity at the Center podcast. I'm Jeff, and that's Jim. Hi, everyone. Hey, Jim. How you doing? I'm doing great. I mean, considering it's a Monday and considering I'm at home, I'm looking around. I'm like, do I recognize this place? <laughs> I haven't been here very much in the last month. Yeah. What is a strange place? Yeah. Four straight weeks on the road. That's that's a pretty good stretch for us. It's Not a pretty normal, good stretch for us. Yeah. It worked out. And then us. on the road again next week and then have a little bit of a reprieve. Well, you do. I, have I do anyway. Yeah, you're going to be... <laughs> It's Next week should be fun. We have a company meeting, have something that we're trying to line up special for the podcast. I don't want to ruin it, so I'm not going to jinx it here. But if everything yeah. works out the way they're looking for, then uh, we might have a pretty special episode, which would be pretty cool. Well, I think the thing that people who don't podcast probably don't realize is that the, when you say things need to work out, you're mostly talking about the recording being clean enough to even be worth listening to. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's the, the huge technical challenge is um, recording something. And then obviously as it's recording, um, you're not sure that it's it's going to sound sound decent until afterwards. Right. Plus there's always the things of content and stuff like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a bit of a perfectionist when it comes to stuff like this. So, you know, I want to make a, a good showing of it. But yeah, the, the recording quality is always is always an issue and a challenge to to address as best as you can. You know, it's a little bit tougher sometimes depending on the environment they're at. So we're always looking for quiet spots when we're when we're remote and traveling. But yeah, so- if you have a lot of people joining uh, either in person or even by phone, I mean, you know, if their internet connection is not good. I was connecting from a hotel quite a bit last week and my goodness, hotel Wi-Fi are, are spotty. <laughs> Yeah, they're pretty terrible for the most part. Yeah, it can be really bad. Yeah, I mean, it's fine for email and stuff like that, but anything you do that requires bandwidth, you know, high quality voice or, you know, even video um, certainly poses challenge. You get those dropouts and stuff like that, but. Um, exactly. Yeah, but I don't think anyone is really listening to us for our take, our hot takes on a hotel Wi-Fi <laughs> quality or the lack thereof. Um, what we want to talk about today is Gartner and their recently updated Identity Governance and Administration Magic Quadrant, the IGAMQ, something they put out every year, and like it or not, has become the starting and sometime the ending point for organizations when it comes to shortlisting products in the IGA space. Uh, you know, that being said, there are plenty of other products that are out there, and I don't think Jim or I would recommend that you only focus on the Gartner MQ, but it is a pretty good start as to you know what you're where to look for for specific products when uh, you want to kind of get started and you're not sure where to go um yeah i think um one of the things that you know when we're working with clients it, it feels like okay we could use the mq we usually do use the mq as kind of a, a reference point but anybody can read the mq right so providing we have to provide value above and beyond that but I mean, Gardner does a really good job of uh, inventorying the space and kind of helping to define the population of what's out there and, and giving um, 
a decent overview of of the products and how they've fared over the past year, what their strategy is going forward. So it's a really valuable uh, piece for somebody who's doing an evaluation. I mean, let's say most of our clients anyway are are hoping just to do this evaluation one time, right? Really look at the space, choose a vendor to go forward with and hope that that vendor's around and in a, a commanding position 10 years into the future. Um, but I think that the the challenges is that most vendors don't maintain that pole position for that long. And so um, it's a challenge. I mean, you look at who the, the leaders in the space were 10 years ago, they're not leaders anymore. They're, they're really falling off like the Oracles and CAs. Now you still see IBM holding a pretty commanding position. Uh, that's kind of impressive. And I'd say they're the only uh, big time legacy vendor who, is still in the leader quadrant. Uh, but, you know, even for the most part, when you look at IBM, the solution that has gotten them there into that leader quadrant today is not the product that they had 10 years ago. So, um, but I still think if you're aligned with the right vendor, you're going to be in a much better position going forward. Yeah, and 10 years is a long time in IT speak. I mean, we've seen over the last couple of years, vendors go from one quadrant to another to not even being rated. Um, I guess let's touch on maybe some of the highlights um, that we've noticed as we kind of read through this. Uh, the first thing that I'll point out is that there are fewer vendors in the leader quadrant this year. We've got SailPoint, we've got IBM, as you mentioned, we've got One Identity, Savient, and Omada, which is a newcomer uh, to the leader quadrant. They've been kind of hanging around in the challengers and the kind of the visionaries area, but they've pulled forward into the leader's quadrant. And we've seen, like you mentioned, a couple step back. Oracle and CA have taken pretty large steps back, actually, if you look at it. Uh, you know, Oracle moved back into the challenge quadrant, basically kind of like right dead center uh, of the graph. And CA has moved all the way back into the niche players. Um, so there's definitely been a separation of traditional leaders and more separation now taking place even within the leaders quadrant. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, if you look at where sell point is, they're obviously, uh, or I guess not obviously, but they're, um, they have the pole position right now. They're the leaders in terms of ability to execute and completeness of vision, which is, uh, that's what the, the matrix is kind of based on when you look at a magic quadrant. And um, I, I'd say they're it's still their game to lose. Um, Savient is a vendor that has made tremendous strides. I mean, they're, I'd say they're overall looking like the number two uh, ranked vendor here within the quadrant. IBM has a higher completeness of vision, but I think, um, you know, what's interesting is what I keep seeing from Savient is uh, they're pushing the boundaries into some of the other areas of IAM, such as privilege access management. So, I think their completeness of vision is going to continue to grow. Um, as you mentioned, Omada, um, that's a, it's, it's kind of a vindication from my perspective in that, um, you know, we look at all these products and we get demos of all these products. And that's one of the great things about being in advisory services is that um, we get to see so much. Um, and I think you and I, identified Omada pretty early on as like, hey, this is a pretty damn good solution. The user experiences at the forefront. I think the investment they've made to 
integrate with uh, the Microsoft platform and, you know, to design around integration with Azure AD. Um, that's their kind of their product differentiation. But, you know, vindication from the standpoint that you look at all these products and I thought to myself, Omada is one that, you know, people need to keep an eye on. Yeah, they're a, Euro, they're, they're a European-based company that's definitely made a lot of strides to try and break more into the U.S. market. And I think that's why you've seen them jump up, kind of going up, right? That ability to execute, trying to get more partners, you know, to, to be able to leverage professional services against them. Um, but yeah, I, I think you and I both agree. You know, it's been it's been a couple of years now since I've seen Omada and continue to, to see their product. And every time, you know, it shows really well. Um, same thing for Sabian. You know, I always like what I see from them. I think they've grown quite a bit on their on their ability to deliver as well. Um, they do a lot of changes and a lot of kind of like DevOps when it comes to their own products. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to keep pace with that as they grow their customer base. Um, but I, you know, I think the one that that continues to impress me is Sailpoint. They've been in the leader quadrant, the leader quadrant, really the pole position of that leader quadrant for years now what four or five years at least yeah since like 15 and that's tough to do right to stay ahead you've got a lot of these different products and i think saving is starting to kind of nip at their heels a little bit but that's good for customers because it drives you know innovation and and having competition in the marketplace is good so uh, but i think that's impressive to kind of be up there for so long and, and to maintain that leadership is is a good sign right yeah i mean so I, I think that was a good place to start was kind of on the positive. One of the kind of on the negative side is, you know, where's Microsoft? <laughs> yeah. Um, <Go> on. <laughs> Microsoft used to be listed here. They are not. Yeah. They have uh, fallen off completely. They do not have a true IJ product. I think that meets the vision here uh, when they deprecated the behold acquisition and the, the technologies there as part of MIM and so forth. I think that really hurt them. And they know that though. I mean, they're working on getting Azure back up to speed. So I think they're they're taking a strategic step here where they know that on-premise type technologies that they have set up with MIM maybe aren't the future. And they're really trying to leverage Azure. Um, and I think they're gonna be poised for a pretty big comeback because they have such a large installed base already with Azure for people who are using Office 365. And as they get that component of their IGA component of Azure back up to speed and so, you know, feature feature complete or not complete, but feature parity with MIM and moving forward and adding, continue to add additional features. It wouldn't surprise me to see them back um, up into the leaders quadrant or, or close thereof over the next few years. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that um, that's the big, the big thing with uh, Microsoft is that they can, move into this quadrant and move to the upper right very quickly. Uh, we did see some uh, previews of their IGA capabilities at uh, the Gartner IAM Summit last December. I'm hoping that to get a refresh view of that um, in this December, you know, this coming December. Um, I've kind of seen some things. I don't want to call it a MIM roadmap because I don't think that's really uh, what Microsoft is calling it but kind of a, a vision for where MIM is heading. And, you know, my takeaway from it was that I don't believe that Microsoft is going to um, heavily invest in MIM. They're not going to change the product set. Uh, they're looking at it more as like an on-premise uh, provisioning and identity administration tool. Mm -hmm. um, but their, their focus and their investment is going to be on 
Azure AD capabilities. Um, the, the support for MIM uh, Service Pack 2 goes all the way out to, I think it's like 2026. So you're gonna be supported for quite a while if you build your infrastructure on MIM. And, and the reason I think that's important is that if you've kind of built your infrastructure on MIM and you're thinking about moving into this IGA space, um, you probably are the, the type of organization that wants to know where's Microsoft heading, right? You wanna at least look at uh, Microsoft's capabilities before writing them off and not being on the magic quadrant, I think hurts them uh, in, in, from that perspective. But I think if I was in a customer position where I was replacing a MIM infrastructure, I'd want uh, Microsoft to come in and, and kind of, um, you know, talk to me about where they're going with the Azure AD, uh, IGA capabilities and timeline roadmap. My feeling is that they're, they're still going to be a couple of years behind, you know, the sale points and savings of the world and, and Omada. And, and those guys also know they have to provide a tremendous value add on top of what Microsoft is bundling in the, uh, the EMS package. Uh, otherwise, why would anybody go out there and buy it, right? I mean, almost, I should say, a large percentage of organizations are going out and having to buy at least some level of EMS if they're using Office 365 uh, for email and for, for Office. So, um, you know, why not kind of leverage a service that's kind of being thrown to them? Well, the the reason to not leverage it would be if you, you know, have a lot of security features available in another package, say SailPoint, for example, that uh, just makes it a compelling system that you need to move toward. Yeah, I think the key part of what you mentioned there is the timeline, right? When are they going to be including these kind of standardized features now at this point that make IGA what it is? You know, if it's going to be two, three years, can an organization wait that long? You're right. Maybe they're trying to address something from a compliance perspective or, or a more immediate need and they may not be able to wait. You know, I think it's a kind of a interesting track to follow because we saw something similar in the access management space with Microsoft being not really kind of considered a player. And now they've moved up into the leader squadron there after a couple of years of investment on their Azure access management side. So I have a feeling we'll see the same on the IGA side. I just wonder when it will take place and if organizations can, can wait that long. Um, you know, one thing to consider would be there is strategic guidance from Gartner. And I think this is something that we've seen as well is that you want a clean system going into any sort of uh, IGA implementation. So, you know, I think this is an opportunity for vendors that have a very good access certification process that layers on top of what's already out there might be a way for some of these products to kind of make an inroads against, you know, MIM and things like that, where it's like, hey, let's get SailPoint or Sabian or Amada and help us out with some access reviews and access certifications to make sure the access is appropriate. And that's sort of a, you know, a door that gets opened up. Say, okay, hey, you know what, we can do these other things. And then you start to look at, well, does it make sense to continue using them? Um, or do we shift over to, you know, one of the newer products out there uh, in the IGA space and just leverage technology that we're already using for the certification side of things? Yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Hey Jeff, so a couple other just things that I've noticed in terms of vendors who are missing uh, Avexa, 
and core security. I mean, Avexa used to be right there neck and neck with SailPoint in terms of kind of one and two in the IGA space. Mm-hmm. Uh, core security, formerly Corian, I mean, they've been in the identity, say, prior to the IGA quadrant, I think it was called IAG quadrant. So this is going back, you know, yeah. probably a decade. These guys have been one of the main players. I know at least in one of the quadrants, they were upper right. Um, now they had some divestiture and MA um, that took place. And anyway, they're not on the, they're not even covered at this point. So I found that kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, Corian is where I cut my teeth. That was the first IGA. Uh, well, probably IAG at that point. <laughs> uh, <laughs> implementation that I went through, you know, bring it into, you know, a couple of organizations actually, but uh, they have certainly kind of fallen off from here. I, I, I haven't really seen as much of a focus on the IGA component. Now they're doing some other things around security and, you know, learning and events and stuff like that. So, you know, as you mentioned, they went through different, you know, acquisitions and mergers and divestitures and stuff like that. So I think they're still kind of working through that process. But uh, yeah. a little sad to see my first one fall off the table, but that's what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, right. stay up with it. Well, my first two were Oracle and CA, and they're, they're working their way out. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I think what it is is that it just goes to show you, you know, if you don't pick. A vendor that is going to be on here, you may wind up stuck with something that you know you need to get off of quickly. And so, what can you actually do about that? I think the only thing you can do is, you know, one of your evaluation criteria has to be how forward looking is this company, right? Are they just kind of, you know, doing kind of me too and follow the leader, or are they the leader? Are they the ones who are pushing the boundary? You know, I, I've noticed that out of SailPoint is that they were coming out with um, like a risk engine and integrating identity analytics into the access request and access certification process. They were doing that before I really saw anyone else kind of going after that. And that tells me that they're, they want to be leaders in the space. And, you know, that, that kind of stuff is you know, I'd say like a risky investment for a vendor because they're trying to roll out functionality before the market may be demanding it, uh, before there is a fully mature market for it. Uh, But it puts them in the position of, um, you know, being the first mover. And I think that that's indicative of them being a thought leader and somebody who will be around and in the, the leaders in a leadership position for years to come. Yeah, it's an interesting question because, you know, what what happens if you pick something, let's say you pick a product that is not a leader, right? What is the risk of it falling off completely and not being able to meet strategic needs down the road? Or what, are, you know, what is the, the, the projected path of it moving forward? I think Savient would be a good example of that where, you know, they had, they weren't a leader for a few years, kind of a newer product, but their path has been up versus these other paths like Oracle and CA and Microsoft and Core, who have you know continued to trend down and even off in some cases, um, it's an interesting thing because a lot of times these products are very sticky, and you end up getting something, and you, you hope it's great, and you hope you hope it's there for for ten years or longer, but that may not be the case. You know, things change, et cetera, and a lot of times that's um, 
that's a definer when it comes to a program success or not. If the technology is continuing to keep pace with the program needs for the organization. So what do you do when an organ, you know, when you've got a product that is good now, but let's say in five years, isn't, you know, meeting your needs anymore, making that shift out of a product is, is sometimes a nuclear option. And I think a lot of people kind of recognize that and they end up sticking with something longer, hoping it makes a rebound or at some point, you know, they kind of bite the bullet and decide, okay, now it's time to make a change. And then another vendor right. just kind of swoops in and, you know, tries to take the business. Right. And I think a lot of times that decision comes down to like how quickly the company will move on that is how happy they were with the solution. So if they had it rolled out, they're very happy. Then it's like, well, you know, they're, they're still alive. <laughs> they're still offering <laughs> support and we're happy. Yeah. But if you were never that happy with it to, in the first place, then it kind of expedites the decision. Yeah, um, just as you were talking though, I was thinking of a couple of things. So mm-hmm. you mentioned Savvy and they started outside of the leader quadrant. They've been in the leader quadrant for a while. And, you know, they, when they were outside of the leader, leader quadrant, they were up and coming and they were, you know, the company that was going to be there. And let's be honest, they were probably a lot more, a lot less expensive. I mean, once you get that pole position in the leader quadrant, um, you put yourself in a position where you command a, a premium price. And whether you're looking at IGA or access management, uh, we hear that from clients a lot is that, well, they don't put it in these terms, but they, when they talk about the vendors who are in these leadership positions is that their, expen- their solutions are very expensive. And yeah. so when you have very expensive solutions, I think, um, you know, obviously you're paying for the success that has already been there and, and projected future success. But if you can get in on one of these non-leaders who are going to move in to the, the leadership position, um, then I think you can get a better, you can lock in a better price. So Jeff, I'm going to challenge you and say, look at the quadrant. Who do you think, you know, if you were a betting man, you can't pick sale point. If you're a betting man, who's going to move the furthest to the right and up? Uh, and who would be the um, the vendor that you think is going to maybe the the dark horse? A dark horse. So obviously not sale point. Is can we consider Savient? Or I'm sorry, sale point. Is Savient a dark horse at this point? Because I think they continue to grow. But I, I like what I'm seeing from them. I well. I think you could. I think you could look at Sabian as a dark horse. At the, I, I mean, it's it's a safe bet. <laughs> I'm not going to give you too much credit for that, but you know, honestly, I was going to go with Omada just because yeah. I like what I've seen, and I think that you know, there's still quite a distance between Omada and Sailpoint. And I'm not saying they're going to catch them, but I think Omada gives you the opportunity to kind of still get in early. Mm-hmm. I think Obviously, it's just it's, they have a visibility problem. I don't think people really know about Omada. Um, I think they're trying to make strides again in the U.S. market. But when you mention Omada to someone, everyone's familiar with Sailpoint. You know, people are starting to become familiar with Savia and you know, other kind of legacy big vendors. But no one really knows in the U.S. at least what Omada is and what it does. I think that's the challenge that they face: is can they get into more people's faces and at least get into the demo? kind of cycle of a company, right? Most companies are going to take a look at one, two, maybe three products, and then kind of go from there. If they make 
if they're, if they're able to make that shortlist, I think they're going to have a, a much better time. I do like what I see from them. Um, but I think it, so you put me on the spot and I remember I put you on a spot several episodes ago and you gave me a cheesy answer. So I'm going to give you a cheesy answer right back. I think you're going to continue to see sale point and salient stretch leads. And I think you're going to see just further differentiation between sale point salient and maybe Omada and IBM. I think IBM will be an interesting one because I don't think people tr- truly kind of look at them as, Hey, we're going to put something brand new in. And they have a lot of different products that kind of cobble together to create their IJ solution. So I think they'll just kind of t- continue to hang around very similar to kind of like what Oracle has done for years where they have a lot of features, but it may be a little more difficult to implement. But my cheese answer will be that I think you just continue to see the separation of SailPoint and Savient. And I think maybe some other ones will kind of come up a little bit forward and you'll see the bottom left start to move even further down and away. Is there anyone on the quadrant Anyone missing from the quadrant that you think uh, next quadrant or a couple quadrants out is making some noise? Um, I mean, there's always blockchain. <laughs> we don't see a blockchain vendor out here. Um, probably too soon for that. I mean, I think there's some other ones that have gotten some um, uh, honorable mentions, things that we've seen in the past, like Tubora, um, you know, things like that. I don't know if there's anything that's truly kind of jumped out yet. I think maybe when we get to Gartner, maybe we'll see some new products there if, they're, if they have, you know, a booth. But um, I think it takes a lot to break into this quadrant. These are well-established organizations, right? They're adding, I think that like the minimum inclusion is you have to add 50 new customers, net new in a year. Uh, so that precludes a lot of smaller vendors who are just kind of starting out. Right. And yeah, you mentioned Tubor. I think that's a really cool solution. But I think by the time they get to 50 new customers a year, it's going to be a couple of years down the road. Um, I love, obviously, I mentioned Microsoft. I think Microsoft will be in the leader quadrant within, you know, two years. That's my crystal ball answer. But I already seen kind of the, you know, the the show and tell last year where they had some uh, identity governance. They've already got the identity, so they're doing password management. Um, it's just kind of taking that next step into, you know, having a good access request workflow. I mean, look, it's not simple. <laughs> I'm making it that simple, <laughs> right. but they've got the resources to really attack this. The other one that I see, you know, making strides into user management, user provision, user lifecycle management, is even what they call it, is Okta. Um, I, you know, they want to be in this space and, you know, I think again, customer base, they've got their hands on a lot of identities and now it's just kind of taking that next shift. Um, I think the, the thing for, uh, Omada to really move up to the right is exactly what you said in terms of exposure, visibility, but it's also, um, They've got to show that they have value add over what Microsoft throws in with EMS, mm-hmm. which I already think they're way ahead in, in those terms. But I think that has to continue to be the positioning because there's such a Microsoft focus. Um, their partnership with Microsoft is kind of the focus of their solution. So they either would have to change the messaging of that to become more of a, a heterogeneous play, like I think SailPoint and Savian are, uh, or we're going to have to say, look, Microsoft gets you so far. That's not far enough. We get you the rest of the way. 
Yeah, when you talk about Microsoft and Okta, I think it's really interesting because they are both focused on cloud-based solution, cloud-based provisioning. And as organizations shift away from those on-premise um, applications, right? I think that becomes kind of the doorway to, to having more cloud provisioning. So I don't see, you know, in the short term, Okta being able to do an on-premise SAP integration as well as, you know, the leaders right now that are out there. Uh, but once SAP, you know, if they have, uh, uh, start moving away from cloud mainframes, you know, into cloud-based solutions, those sorts of things, I think that really is going to be the kind of the door to let cloud IGA really kind of take off. Yeah, and you know, I think that there's probably going to be a shift in the provisioning space. I mean, again, crystal ball here is, um, I remember the web access management space 10 years ago, the big focus was what uh, agency you have. So do you have a Lotus Domino agent, a Java server agent, an IS agent, all these things that you could integrate your web apps back to the mothership. And then along come Okta, Ping, and all the uh, web SSO providers, and they're saying integrate with SAML. And now it's oh, integrate with OpenID Connect. And so it's a shift toward um, open standards. And, you know, I can see provisioning moving toward open standards too. I mean, a lot of the connectors you're going to find with even SailPoint, Savian, and, and the other um, top vendors are going to be. RDBMS connectors, a relational database, or a flat file connector, or a LDAP connector. But then they'll also have SAP connector, like a Oracle Apps connector, or an Epic connector in healthcare. I don't see Okta really moving in that um, proprietary connector space, but more saying we have open source connector. You know, if you want to uh, use our system to provision. Again, this is crystal ball. This isn't, you know, I don't have a, a vision to the company strategy here, but if I was, the, the integration approach I would favor would be a REST connector. Yeah, relational database, yeah, LDAP. You know, have kind of open standard-based connectors or well-established standards, um, not proprietary connectors for applications, which limits you somewhat. But again, I think what happens is that Kind of puts the onus back on um, the applications to come halfway and mm -hmm. you know meet you halfway, and um, that's really what happened with SAML. I mean, I remember in you know my early days in access management, it was like you know we wanted all these connectors because we didn't want the have to force the applications to change. And what happened with SAML and organizations standing up single sign-on systems is that they said this is what we support. And you need to change your application to integrate if you don't currently support SAML. And, you know, a lot of the, uh, there are a lot of solutions out there that help them, SAM, you know, SAML enable their applications. But it wasn't just that you guys don't have to change. We're going to um, make, you know, give you an easy button to integrate with our solution. It was, this is our standard and you're going to have to find a way to, uh, you're going to have to change your application. Yeah, that's interesting. Point. You know, what drives inclusion of standards into applications? If I'm building a new app today, I want to build it on standards, OAuth, SAML, Skim, right? Those types of things and make my app very extensible, have APIs, not just have APIs, but have, you know, well-documented APIs. I think that's something 
that sets Okta apart from a lot of different vendors is they have a really good developer portal, right? Where there's a lot of documentation and a lot of stuff that is done with them is, is API driven and can be API driven. So I think that's important from an application standpoint as you start to look at the IGA vendors. At what point does it matter for custom connectors or you know, client server connectors, things like Epic and, and the ones that you mentioned? You know, are people going right. to care? Does it make sense to buy a product that is, um, you know, still looking at kind of legacy connections? Um, and if it, you know, who cares? Focus on the other things. Work on things that are standards-based and the things that are not standards-based, you figure out whether or not it makes sense to include as part of IGA or not. Exactly. You know, one of the, the last things that I wanted to talk about was um, within this report, um, Gardner kind of kicked it off by saying, you know, different strategic planning assumptions and um, that there's a big focus on uh, analytics and, um, you know, uh, machine learning and artificial intelligence. I think that what that means is the ability for applications to do predictive analysis in terms of, all right, you have these entitlements on the user already, you know, based on what other people have, you may also want to request this. So it's kind of like, you know, when you go to Amazon and it's kind of trying to steer your path toward uh, what you might really need uh, to simplify the identity provisioning process. I think also, you know, in terms of uh, access certifications being, uh, doing micro certifications. So most of the organizations with that we come into contact with are doing access certifications on you know an annual basis or a quarterly basis and they're much more static but i think there's a shift you know and we've been talking about it for a long time like you know this is great functionality if you can have it which is you know hey based on an event i just lock out my password and unlock it let's do a recertification based on that just for that one user just to make sure that they didn't get walked out yesterday and now they're they're locking out their password and resetting it or something like that. And the third thing that I think vendors will um, start incorporating, we've already seen it, I mentioned it earlier on SailPoint side is evaluating risk. You know, what is the risk of that a user possesses? You can use that for certification or access request processes. And what is the risk of the entitlements that they are um, attempting to be provisioned to. And so using risk as an element to drive workflows for reviews and recertification, I think that's kind of the, the next big thing when it comes to identity governance. Because what, what do we keep hearing at, at clients? It's like rubber stamping because of the overload associated with too many approvals, too much data coming their way. Right. So how can you reduce the amount of things that they need to process? Well, it's by, um, you know, sending them less, sending them fewer <laughs> things to read, fewer things to approve. And what you need, the way to do that is by sending them the high risk things and maybe the low risk things you don't recertify as much or ever. Maybe you don't even really need to have an approval. If, if the risk is so low, why bother a manager with having to approve it and potentially 
uh, creating a, a fatigue uh, associated with having too much to approve. Yeah, I agree with all that. Uh, that makes a lot of sense. And I think that is probably a good spot where we can leave it for for this show. Where do you get this report? I think the the best answer for that, because I don't want to promote any specific vendor, would be just visit any of the leaders, and I'm sure they'll have a plaster on their front page, <laughs> right? In exchange of an email address, I'm sure they'll be happy to, to give you a link for it. You can also get it from Gartner directly, you know, if you've got a Gartner subscription or if you want to, you know, purchase the report specifically. But um, yeah. you know, I got mine from one of the one of the leaders. I won't say which one. Um, in exchange for my email address, and you know, here we are. Jeff, the report was called the Gartner Magic Quadrant for Identity Governance and Administration. Ooh, it's it published on October 9th of 2019. Apparently, it's a 64-minute read. Um, yeah, That's I would say that. It's I mean, they cover each of the vendors, kind of cover strengths and weaknesses on each, and kind of where they're at in the market. Um, <clears throat> that sounds about right. I just think it's very interesting on how they come up with 64 minutes. It must be some algorithm. Machine learning. Based on the <laughs> machine learning, exactly. Everything is machine learning now. Most people are just going to pick it up, look at their, look at the quadrant, say, okay, and then pick out the vendors that they care about and then read this, those sections. Um, I read the whole thing. I mean, there's, you know, there's obviously a lot of other, other vendors that are out there that are worth, you know, the time consideration because this quadrant does focus more on mid and large sized businesses. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you're a little bit smaller or maybe smaller mid, you know, maybe a better fit out there. So I would encourage folks to, you know, do their due diligence, you know, take this with as, as a data point, um, but not necessarily make it your sole data point for making a decision. All right. That's good advice, Jeff. Let's call it for this week. And uh, thank you all for listening. If you've got questions, you know, feel free to email questions at identityatthecenter.com. Uh, if you're looking for show notes, we typically will put them at the bottom of the podcast description. You know, each of the different services handles a little bit differently, so it's tough to say where they'll be. But if you visit identityatthecenter.com, uh, that'll have a list of all the different shows, and underneath each of those will be uh, the, the show notes, so you can always find them there as well. All right. Take care, all. Thanks. You've been listening to the Identity at the Center podcast. To access all episodes, visit identityatthecenter.com.